This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 10th, episode 2287. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? stop learning you never stop understanding it's more in depth than just riding a horse exciting knowing that for the rest of my life i could work on this and, and i'll never stop learning Mary. Mary is here the second Thursday of every month where we get to sit down and geek out on horse training while Glenn goes over and plays with something technical. It's a one woman show. It's all woman show here on the second Thursday of every month when Mary and I hang out because it's just the two of us. We call our guests live on the air so you get to hear all the inner workings of the horses in the morning show. How you doing, Mary? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Still, still here. So still that's in, always good. Still in Camp Texas. Every time I play that opener, do you remember which, I think it was one of the makeovers that you were at when you did that interview where you say, you know, I could never stop learning and that's why I like doing this so much? We actually did that for a my application for the Road to the Horse wildcard competition, that the, the first one they started back in 2013. Um so, so yeah, that was just like a little blurb about that you're supposed to explain why, why you like horse training and why they should pick you. And I'm pretty sure that's what that's off of. Yeah. And then was the Mary Kitzmiller, was that one of the Mustang makeovers? Yeah, that was the 2012 Extreme Mustang makeover. That was the first time I made finals. And it was really cool because um, I didn't think I was going to make finals. I wasn't planning. I mean, I had a little bit of a plan. I was doing the Garocha thing, but I'd never done it before. I didn't know if it was going to work, and I didn't think it was going to be super special or anything like that. I just rode around. I took the bridle off my horse and rode around with the Garocha pole, and people really liked it. Like, it was really – it went over really well. It was one of those uh, – one of those freestyle rides where like I picked a song and I almost didn't use that song. And, and uh, for some reason, some of the, some song choices just play perfectly over the loudspeaker and are really awesome. And that was one of those songs. It was uh, Shake It Off by Florence and the Machine. And I came out of my freestyle like, well, that went pretty well. And people were like, that was really great. And so I thought, well, yay. <laughs> so it was a good time. It was great times. So how many Mustang makeovers have you done now? Uh, let's see. I did, I did two in 2011. I did 2012. So that's three. I did 2013. That's four. Uh, we're nearing 10, I think. Really? Wow. 10. And is, is number, is Dougal, who we're going to talk about today, is Dougal number 10 or number 11? God, I don't know. Let's see. 
I, I'd have to really sit down and count. Or thereabouts. Um, He's right he around a dozen. Why don't we round he, it off? Um, probably <laughs> not quite that many. Um, but yeah, we're getting up there. I've done a few. So te- give, every- give everybody the intro on Dougal because he is your current. Is he your only current Mustang makeover project or do you have two in the two in the pipeline at the same time? I have a couple Mustangs I'm working with, but Dougal is my current only competition horse this time. And he is my I picked him up uh, a month ago. Um, it, so like first week of September. And uh, I've been working with him. His competition date will be the end of January uh, 2020 in Fort Worth. Um, And he's doing really good, but he's definitely on the more difficult scale of horses. Uh, So like Remy was Remy was a giant puppy dog. Um, And Dougal is very calm and he doesn't do anything crazy but he is very he's giant and for the first two weeks like I've got a ton and ton of videos of him on my Facebook page I did a lot of little Facebook lives where we just threw up a cell phone video and I'm like here's what I'm doing and in all of those videos a lot of it is just we're just hanging out and standing there and you know he looks like half asleep and really easy But for the first two weeks, when I started working down his sides, like getting him touched on his sides, I just have this feeling like you work when you work horses long enough, you'll get these feelings and they seem unfounded because the horse hasn't actually done anything or is even giving any indication of doing anything. But you get these feelings and I just have this feeling when I would like walk down his sides, like just be careful. So um, it took me a couple weeks to kind of get that feeling to dissipate of just continuing to calmly work with him. And now uh, I think we've kind of broken through that invisible barrier, but we're still on just halter training and I've got a saddle blanket on him and a surf single and that's it. So uh, it's, uh, it's slow going, but he is making progress. Now, whenever you start these Mustangs, do you always go, to a sur single first, or do you ever go directly into to a saddle? Um, for years, I just saddled. I saddled through, you know, put the saddle on front six, front cinch, back cinch, and then we were off. But uh, with Mustangs, especially, there have been times where I thought I can get the saddle on you, and I might even get the girth mostly adjusted. But I don't know if you will stand still long enough for me to get all my cinches adjusted properly. It's a lot of pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And to get out of the danger zone and then to be able to control your feet properly once I've strapped this thing to you. So I started just like, you know what? I'm going to throw the surf single on you. If you're cool with that. I'll throw my, um, I've even gone, so I was always like really adamant about, I put the whole rig on you, front cinch, back cinch, first time, and we go. But So I've even started with a couple of horses going from surcingle to my reining saddle, which is very light, easy for me to wield, and it only has the front cinch. And then if they're good with that, a couple rides, or a couple of sessions than I do front cinch, back cinch, but everything will get a back cinch before it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason for that is um, I think it helps the saddle cover uh, and disperse pr- pressure more evenly over their back. And because um, at some point in this horse's life, if he goes to a new home, someone's going to put a back cinch on him or there's always a chance. Yeah. And even a broke, broke horse, if they've never had a back cinch, can have a pretty big reaction. So I don't want someone to think, oh, he's perfectly fine. I'm going to put my saddle on and then be surprised. So I want them to know what a back cinch is at some yeah. point in their life. I, I, I think I agree with you on that one in that. I think that, and I'm I'm an English rider for anybody who hasn't listened to the show for a long time. The only time I ever sit in a Western saddle is when I'm using somebody else's horse and, and saddle. But I think that wearing a back cinch that is properly fitted in that it actually touches the horse's body is mm-hmm. a essential skill in every horse's education. I think horses that are going to be show jumpers should have the opportunity to feel that on their middle and go, Oh, that's cool. It's just a part of my tack. I'm okay with it because I think it, it's a little bit like when you teach a horse to give to pressure of a soft rope around their leg, it's a case of some, at some point something's going to get stuck around their middle or the saddle's going to slide back because the girth got loose and when the saddle slides back, the girth's going to eventually get snug because as you move further back on the rib cage, it gets wider. Now, admittedly, that's not a back cinch, but if the horse has already experienced back cinch, front cinch, it's not going to be so foreign. He's going to be less likely to lose his marbles. I just think it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and you and I have seen are probably seen our fair share of horses get into all sorts of predicaments. So when you're training them, if you have the opportunity to expose them to all sorts of weirdness happening and in a controlled environment where you can help them through it and say, this is how you do this, the better. Because they get their feet hung in things. They get saddles that go upside down around their belly or slide too far back or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are certain areas of the body where I would not blame the horse for having a huge reaction. Like, well, like a, a flank rope, you know. Know, if, if someone were to rope a horse around his flanks, um, they wouldn't normally I wouldn't blame, do. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't blame any horse for being rather upset about that. And I don't expect every horse to be perfect all the time and never react to anything. But if I can expose them to something early on and say, listen, this might happen. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to move your feet. But here's the best way to move your feet in a way that's going to keep you safe and keep whoever's handling you safe. And and you've had this experience in a controlled environment. And hopefully it'll prepare you for life. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of stuff you can imagine you can do. Like a lot of guys who have a rope horse and you know this horse is going to manage ropes they'll do a lot of training when that horse is a colt like what happens if it accidentally goes under your tail or under your stirrup leather because those guys have all been on a young horse where the cow ran behind him and snugged the the lariat up under the horse's tail and it was not a good time and again I don't expect the horse to be a statue and to be completely perfect all the time But at least if he's had some experience with it, he goes, okay, remember my training. I can do this. I won't kill everybody um, in this, you know, (laughs) in this predicament. Right. Because you don't, what you don't want is to 
overtrained the horse to the point where he doesn't he no longer reacts or no longer thinks through things. He just shuts down because he's been so overexposed. But getting to the point where they can be exposed to new things, it's like, okay, I, I get new things all the time and new things are okay because we always work through it versus I only very, very occasionally get new things. So it's really novel and I need to lose my marbles. Yeah. I exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. A case in point. We were out trail riding a few weeks back with some buddies and pals here in Ocala, Florida, and Nigel likes to be in the front by several miles when we trail ride. Mm. It doesn't matter what gate it is. He wants to be in the front. But the trail boss of this particular ride needed to be in front because the trails were not well used. So she, she was really the only one who could tell where they were going. So I had to figure out ways to keep Nigel behind her without him getting himself all wound up being a thoroughbred so what i was doing is i would go off the trail into the woods and make little loops and circles and stuff and then come back and then out of the woods and loops and circles and come back which he's great with he loves trailblazing going through the brush and through the trees and climbing over crap he thinks that's great but frequently we come across vines and sometimes those are vines we can see and sometimes they're vines that are just kind of hidden in the underbrush and they will get stuck around his legs and wrapped around things and thank goodness nigel has had the opportunity to learn about things in a controlled situation that get wrapped around his legs and if he just stops for a moment and thinks about it if he picks up his leg or stops things get better because we're cruising along, and all of a sudden, he's all wrapped up in, in uh, grapevines. Well, I can tell him to stop, and we can work it out and get it all undone again. But it was interesting because a couple of the other riders on our ride that day saw, the, saw him get wrapped up in these grapevines, and they lost their marbles. It's like, no, wait a minute. It's me and my horse. You're fine. <laughs> but they were having a panic attack because their horse has never had the opportunity to get to have that happen. They stay on the trail. And... Their horses would have lost their marbles. So it's a great thing to, to take the time to do this little crap. You know, when, when you can't ride because something's going on in the world, take the time to do a little bit of groundwork. Wrap a big old fat cotton rope around his ankle and pick up his foot and hold it there with the, with the rope wrapped around it a couple times. It can be as simple as that. Oh, yeah. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. A bunch of recreational and and novice riders and even professional riders because i've been here myself are riding ticking time bombs and you guys don't know it um and <laughs> riding a ticking time wouldn't that be a great name for a racehorse ticking time bomb oh, oh my gosh. gosh yeah he would never have and, a second career but that's <laughs> you know like like one of the i heard i heard a trainer say something about like getting your horse broke to like a rain slicker being able to oh yeah put on your raincoat and he said, like, the famous last words you hear from people who've gotten in pretty bad wrecks are, the last thing I remember was putting on my raincoat. Oh my and, you know, you, you're not always going to be riding out in the bush and getting caught in monsoons and stuff. But, you know, a lot of people have thought their horse was broke and like, I'm just going to grab this jacket off the fence and that, you know, famous last words. And... um 
you just, you can't do too much. Can you prevent it all from happening? No, because your horse is a sentient being and he's a prey animal. You will never out-train the prey, the, the prey animal out of this horse. It's, it's in there for millions of years. Um, and I can never make a horse not be scared or make a horse not move his, want to move his feet. But I can do lots of things to show him if and when you're scared, here's what you do. And hopefully we'll get through this together. Um, so, yeah, you can't, you can't do too much of that kind of stuff. There we go. And speaking of which, um, our training fit tip for today, and there's always, a, there's always an impetus for these things, so I always love hearing the backstory. Know what you are asking for in training. Right. Seems pretty simple. Right, yes, you know, pretty straightforward. Right. I'm asking for a canter left. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is something I see a lot at clinics or when I'm getting giving lessons. Um, I see people using a lot of aids and cues with their horse. Uh, you know, they might be picking up the reins and moving their hands this way and that, or doing stuff with their legs as they're asking their horse to do something. And every so often, I'll ask a student. Okay, what do you what are you trying to get to happen with your horse? And it puts them on the spot a little bit, and they get a little flustered. Um, but I'm like, what you? I saw you pick up the reins there. What what were you wanting to happen when you picked up the reins? And most of the time, they can't tell me what what they were doing. So my answer to that is, if you don't know what you're asking for, how is your horse supposed to know? And if you're just picking up your reins in a certain way because it's that's what you for no reason or you weren't paying attention or you saw so-and-so trainer do it so you're going to emulate that um but you're not actually getting something to happen with your horse then all you're doing is desensitizing your horse and that's why we get horses that are dead-sided and heavy on the bit and then we think we got to get the new magical bit that's on the market and fix it or whatever there you go (laughs) exactly So I learned the value of this quite a bit riding a Western performance horse because our ideal um, when riding like a Finnish Western horse, it's usually to ride one handed in the bridle um, and it's to, to be able to have a horse where I can get these really high powered maneuvers done and still maintain a a good deal of slack in the rain. And I want that horse to operate off of signal, meaning I don't have to make full contact with the corners of his mouth. Every time I want to do something, I should be able to lay that rein across his neck or just move my hand an inch or two this way, that way and get huge maneuvers like spins and stops and rollbacks and chasing cows and all of that. So I can't get to that point if I'm always hauling hauling on my horse's mouth or I'm constantly got contact, but I'm not creating anything with that contact. And riding with contact is not bad at all. That's what the English folks do. But even with contact, I want something going on. And uh, you don't have to know the perfect method to get the thing done you're trying to get done. But you do need to know what you're asking. What what am I asking my horse to do? How am I going to ask him to do it? What cues am I going to use? What aids am I going to use? And then finally, 
when the horse does the thing, what, what, what then, what am I going to do? How do I let him know he's done the right thing? How am I going to release the pressure? How am I going to reward that horse? And if you know those things, even if you don't have a perfect method, um, you're, you're well on your way to getting pretty handy with the horse. So every time my hand picks up the rein, I'm thinking, what do I want? Do I want the horse to steer left or right? Do I want him to slow down? Do I want him to collect? Do I want him to tip his nose in a certain way? Um, I need to know what that is when I pick up that rein. And then I need to be able to recognize it when he does it. And then I need to be able to release. And that's how the training works. So the two biggest things that I see people do is they hang on the reins way too much and they've constantly, I just did a clinic where I was like, quit, quit kicking your horse, quit, take your legs off your horse, take your, take your, you know, not off your horse's sides, but quit digging your heels into your horse. Um, it's like riding the gas pedal you, on the brake at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. And if your heels are constantly in your horse's sides, so you put your heels in your horse and he goes, and then you continue to dig your heels in your horse. He's like, well, dang it. I, I trotted. And she kept doing it. So, you know, I guess I, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get rewarded for my efforts. So I'm just going to go my speed. And that's where you get horses that get really kind of cantankerous and pinny eared and slow and pokey. And then we wonder why we can't get them to go anywhere. So ask for, ask for a behavior, know what that behavior is, ask for it in a clear manner and then release as soon as he does it. Very simple, but yet very difficult to maintain in some cases. I think that's one of the things that separates an amazing and truly talented trainer from a good trainer. This Now, I'm talking about training the horse, not the people. Uh, someone who can get on a horse and create an incredible athlete that can perform past what that horse's natural talents might make you think. Those are the trainers that have that ability to um, ask, and then when the horse uh, responds, either fully because they've been trained to the response, or they make an effort towards the response, that rider, that trainer can immediately and effectively let the horse know that that was the right answer and do it consistently. I think so many of us, when we're trying to train a horse, we fall into one of two traps. We either are unable to let the horse know that that was the answer we were looking for because we don't release the pressure, or we think we're releasing the pressure when in fact we're just changing the aid. For example, you ask for a trot and the horse begins to trot, so you relax your leg aid. But instead of just relaxing your leg aid, you relax your leg aid followed instantaneously by flapping on the horse's back when he started to move forward. Well, you've added another aid unintentionally and canceled out the first one. So you've just taught your horse to not move away from your leg. Whereas a genuinely fantastic trainer doesn't have that stuff that makes it all muddy for the horse. Absolutely. And it, it takes a lifetime. I mean, I'm still not, I don't, I still don't have it all. Um, well, it's, it's a, it's a skill that has to be constantly honed. And yeah, one, and it's, it's not like you're riding a bicycle. You're not getting on a bicycle and learning, um, muscle memory each in, like you said, it's a sentient being, even if you've got 
the system figured out, each sentient being is going to be different under any given circumstance, right? So you can't, right. it's, it's never going to be a case of, okay, I've learned how to back a horse and teach it to walk, jog, and lope in a round pen. You can't say that because each individual animal in each round pen in each day is going to be different. So like you said at the beginning of the show, you'll never stop learning. Never. Never stop learning. I think the two biggest things that help me, um, and unfortunately, I can't like bottle this up and sell it to the masses because I would be very stinking rich. But the two biggest things that help me are, one, riding lots of strange horses. and having to figure out, okay, this worked for this horse, but not for this horse and doing that thousands of times. And then the other thing that really helped me, this was when I was working in raining barns. I had been doing colts for years and I was kind of like, I'm done with colts. I should be on the show horses. You know, I was young and stupid. Um, but I thought I knew what I was training in my colts to make them great show horses, but it would always happen. I'd get them so many months in training and one of the more experienced assistants would take them off of my string and put them on his string. And I, I was getting frustrated because I could never get the colt past a certain month of training before my knowledge would just run out. And it wasn't until I got handy enough to ride and maintain the broke show horses. Like I wasn't allowed to get on them and just train on them, but just loping them around and keeping them licked up. And I could feel, oh, this is what it feels like. This is how it should feel. And it completely changed how I started my Colts because I had an idea. This is what I, this is what I'm going for. And that like, that was the huge epiphany for me. And I realized, oh, I'm wasting my time doing all of this stuff and I'm not spending enough time doing this stuff. And of course, we don't all have that opportunity to get on those like amazing high caliber million dollar winning horses. Um, but that, but riding, riding one that was very experienced and knew his job and operated off of an amazing feel helped me realize, okay, this is how I should be training my Colts. Um, and so, you know, I wish I could bottle up those experiences and just sell it. And because yeah. not everyone, yeah. not everyone's a horse trainer is riding hundreds of Colts and, and broke horses. And the other thing I see that I wish I could, I could help people through more, we always try, is most of the students I see at clinics are so unconfident. And I think it, it's because, you know, I have failed so many times and then I succeeded. So if it takes me six hours to get a horse on the trailer, I might get a little tired and, you know, perturbed but I'm getting that horse on the trailer because I've been here before many times. That horse will get on the trailer. I am confident. I will get you on the trailer. So it gives me the confidence uh, and and to have patience to do that for six hours in the parking lot. But if you've never been through that and that's your horse doing it today, you know, you just lose faith and hope. And, and so when I see people asking the horse to do something, I see a lot of people that are really just wishy-washy with it and they just kind of barely ask for it. And and I know it comes from they're not sure, they don't think they're good enough or they failed before and they didn't get it done with this horse. And so they're just too afraid to just get in there and try and do it. And I wish I could just 
bottle up the confidence and give that to people because that's that's made a huge difference um, for me is I failed and then I succeeded and then I failed again and then I succeeded again and I know I'll get it done. Like with Dougal the other day, perfect example, he's as kind of flighty as he can be. He's really, really, I don't want to say lazy, but it takes a lot to get his big old butt to move. And the other day I was teaching him to move his shoulders over and I brought my, I had a little stick I was using as, as a, uh, an aid to cue him to move his shoulders over and I wave it in the air and he just sits there and looks at me and I tap him on the neck and he just sits there and looks at me. And, um, part of me just was like, oh, he's not going to do it. And I wanted to stop asking. And I'm like, no. I will continue asking. I didn't have to increase pressure. I didn't have to start wailing on him. But I got in there and I was like, you will move over one step. That's all I'm asking for. And I kept it up and it took about five minutes. And then finally he plopped over one step and I was able to release. But, you know, so I even had to remind myself like, no, I asked for this. I'm going to get this. Uh, it, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to wail on your horse, but you don't want to quit until you get it either. And right, then, right. then I released and then he goes, Oh, okay. And then he got, he had it after that, but that it's kind of hard to have the patience and the, and the confidence to go through it. If your horse is just looking at you, like, I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah. So I understand. I have the empathy for that. Yeah. Hey, I just had a brilliant idea. Make a note of this. Get yes. on a post-it note. For next month's show, I think it would be fun to do a little comparison of teaching a particular skill. For example, doing a groundwork exercise where you ask the horse to move his shoulders over. Pick a skill. Doesn't matter what it is. And how you approach it with a high-energy horse, horse that's naturally high-energy versus a low-energy horse. Because they each come with their own challenges, Oh yes, absolutely. Right, because you have to you have to have the patience hat for both of them, but it's going to be a very different process for somebody. If I'm sitting on the rail watching, it might look very different. So put that on the put that in the in the notes for next time around. I think that would be a lot of fun. So now it's got to be okay. that time of day. Um, we're going to hear from our title sponsor, Horseware, and Horseware distributes this really cool product called Ice Vibe, and I need to look it up and find the original the episode where we had the person who developed this product on the show and we did a lovely interview with them because it's a whole lot more than just ice they really have a lot of science behind this thing and uh, after we hear from horseware we're going to have our guest Geraldine on in the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports it's all about how to prepare and repair ice vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse before activity prepare to prevent damage by using the ice vibes vibration pads repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow and because it's battery powered ice vibe is truly portable the essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair ice vibe you can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. Hello. There we go. Our oh, guest hello. Gerald is here. <laughs> hey. Hi. How are you hey. guys doing? doing good, good morning. I feel so blessed to be here with you guys, um, Jen and 
Mary, what a wonderful day. It is. Oh my gosh, it's so nice in Texas right now. It's it's beautiful. So I haven't had a chance to do your intro yet. So we uh, was just reading over it. And uh, so for those who don't know, Gerilyn has been working um, in the area of natural horsemanship for 21 years. And she has worked with Pat and Linda Pirelli. And she's a three-star uh, Pirelli professional, which if you're not familiar with the Pirelli program, is a pretty big deal. And mm-hmm. I'm also reading that you are a two-time Road to the Summit participant. So for those that don't know, what the heck is Road to the Summit? (laughs) Okay, so we have partnered up with Atwood Ranches. He used to be a Texas guy down here, Tom Atwood, and he moved to California. And he would donate horses to the Pirelli Foundation, which is support of youth groups and rescue centers and, you know, therapeutic centers, welfare of of horses in general. So what we would do is we would take those colts, those really nice Atwood colts, and uh, we would keep them uh, for a year. And then uh, we would go up to what would we call our summit, which is uh, the Pirelli's event uh, in September. And we would um, have a a little competition, <laughs> friendly competition, and then uh, we would um, auction off the horses, and all the proceeds would go to um, the Pirelli Foundation. So that's what I was. That's what the definition of that is. Very very cool. So it's kind of in the a little bit of the same vein, but probably not as uh, not nearly as much of a time crunch as something like a Mustang makeover, but you're getting a horse and starting it and then showing the world what yeah. the horse can do and what kind of training. So that's awesome. And it's, it sounds like everything goes to uh, some really great causes. Um, and that's sort of your specialty with training is doing um, cult starting and restarting, as I understand it. And uh, yeah. I guess my first question on that would be, if you had a choice, if I was going to send you a training horse, would you rather it be like an Atwood type colt, like sort of uh, like a, a blank canvas, not really handled very much? Or would you rather restart a horse that uh, might have some issues or or just needs a refresher? You know, both of them have their advantages and disadvantages. You know, I, I think that sometimes our backyard horses can be like someone that's raised a horse in their backyard. That's what I'm calling a backyard horse. I think some of those horses can be your most dangerous because they have a lot of, uh, no, I'm a pretty pony, pet me and give me a cookie kind of a idea. Their job description is not as big. So Atwood horses, there is a total difference between a performance horse and something like a Mustang though. You know, if you think about a Mustang who's just came up now, that being said, and Mary can, kind of concur or not concur with this, you know, Mustangs have been rounded up kind of and not, I mean, their first experiences with humans haven't been the best to begin with. You know, it could have been a helicopter into, you know, being put into pins and stuff like that. So, you know, it may not be the balance there, but you know, your difficult horses or your restarts or the ones that come from kill pins, you know, they've got to tell their story first. And sometimes their story is really big. Um, You know, there's, you know, it's not always that someone had to relinquish that horse, you know, because 
uh, a family member passed away and, you know, they're just donating those horses or, or moving them on. Sometimes they have really big stories. And, um, yeah, I, you know, so in, when you're revealing, they're just, they're just different. So I enjoy them all. I would say performance horses in general are so much more spicy. So sometimes your, your more gentled horses to do are the ones that someone balanced out their obedience to their, you know, their confidence. And so you get those in your hand and you're like, yeah, like this. Um, sometimes performance can be, like I said, pretty spicy. So it can, it, that has its own difficulties in itself. And then the difficult horses, the ones that I have worked with or the restarts, what I do is I try to come in a back door. So like if they had learned behaviors of bucking and spooking to levels that are just extremely off the charts, dangerous for the humans, then I've got to come in what I call a back door. And so it's a relationship. It's a connection. And then once I connect it differently with their brains, it just wires them differently. But if I just tried to go in straight on and ride the buck out of them or something like this, I could actually create, especially in that restart or a, um, an animal that has already had those bad experiences, um, I could create the problem to be uh, worse. So um, that's my passion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh it can be tough the restarts i definitely say in most cases are tougher um and it's because you are playing detective like the horse yes. will act really broke to the saddle but then you'll find out you know well he's he had a really bad experience with the back cinch, so like i could get the saddle on him fine so you you have to go back and treat him like he's never had it done and even if he's standing there and he's really chill about everything you still have to kind of say okay you're fine now but i'm ready and like right. well, with the kill pin horses, I've actually spoken with a few trainers lately who are like, oh, man, these kill pin horses that these ladies are rescuing they're they can be a handful. And it's, you yeah. know, I don't want to dissuade anyone. If you find your perfect horse there, I, I in fact, I have a pony out of a kill pin that I'm training and he's wonderful. He's an angel. He's a <laughs> one eyed. He was a one-eyed yeah. feral pony, but he's awesome. Oh, I so love you, that. Yeah. You can find those diamond in the rough, but but one gentleman I was talking to said, got a really nice, big, beautiful horse that he was putting 30 days on. And the, the owner was like, how did this horse end up in a kill pen? And this trainer recognized the brand on this horse. I think it was on the shoulder of the hip as a rough stock bucking horse brand and he's like well oh. the horse probably quit bucking oh. <laughs> so that's why they got rid of him yeah. and he happened yeah. to know the yeah he happened to know the contractors of this horse and called him up and they said yep sure enough that's what happened he he was a, he was a bucking horse and he stopped bucking and so they used him as a pickup horse for a while and then he went to this sale that sale and long story short sadly he ended up in the kill pen and the guy yeah. told him, he said, you know, just because they quit bucking doesn't mean, you know, for a rodeo setting, doesn't mean they're not going to buck. And the guy said, don't lean over the horse's right shoulder because that's like his button. And Ooh. so this, yeah. So this trainer was like, all right. So he got along with him for 30 days and just made sure he never leaned in a certain way um yeah the horse is doing great but then one day he was riding outside and something spooked the horse and the horse started 
booking. And he said, unfortunately, I did what what most people would do in that case is you reach down the rein and try to bend the horse's nose to the side to try and you yeah. know diffuse it. But for yeah. this horse, it w- it kind of locked and loaded him like it was sort of exactly how a cowboy who's riding him in the yeah. rodeo would pull. Yeah. And uh, he, long story short, he ended up breaking his tailbone and and he rode him through it, but. Um, but long story short, you know, sometimes with your restarts, you'll have the, like, everything's going great. And then you hit one of those old habits well, and they can pick it right. up. And they're just like, they're just buttons in there. It's just a conditioned response on the horse's part. You know, your leg's there, your hand is here. That means this. And yeah, I get it. And being able to go back in there and retrain that. You know, sometimes horses, you can repeat something with them. By the time you've repeated it three times, if they've written it down in their contract as this is, this is how I operate now. And so then you've got this, you know, this man over here that pushed that button. I remember one of the kill pin horses, I put my leg in a certain position and asked for a canter to part. Any other position where I'd had my leg out would have been fine. So like as trainers, we grapple, you know, and we look at all the sections on them above and below. And, you know, it may be okay with the inch in front of it, but it's not okay with the inch behind. And that leg position there was instant, you know, I'm going to take you off, you know, and of course I didn't come off, but it was, you know, if you turn around and, and, and release these horses back out into the public without reconnecting that, um, you know, it could be dangerous for, well, it is dangerous for somebody else. And that's, you know, I get that. So yes, ma'am. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit like doing brain surgery, or a little bit like yeah. rocket scientists. I don't want to insult brain sur- surgeons and rocket scientists, but um, but yeah, finding out what 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 buttons are there, what wires c- uh, connect. Don't cut the red wire; only cut the green wire, type of thing. Um, yeah. And as a horse trainer, it training horses like that, and a lot of us, that's where we start. Um, I, I can't think of any horse trainer unless they were born into it, born into, you know, a family that does this, that starts out with a barn of like the best bred and, you know, performance horses on the planet. We all start with those restarts, um, or a horse that has never been started, but it's just, you know, he's bred to be just someone's beloved trail pony and, um, Mm. And so we, st- and at first those horses make you very good because you learn to solve all these issues of this horse came to me rearing up and this horse has bucked five guys off and this horse learned to pull the lead rope out of his owner's hand and this horse pulls mm-hmm. back when he's tied and this horse won't get in the trailer. So you learn to solve all those issues. But when you're constantly dealing with that horse where you're undoing bad things that have happened before, either on purpose or accident or whatever, um, if you only do those horses, you'll actually, and I had a trainer tell me this and it really opened up my mind, you'll actually start to get worse because you're used to failing and failing and failing and failing and you'll eventually succeed. But you sort of get used to that horse. And and I myself, like I spent my first two years of my career training that kind of horse. And mm-hmm. then you almost mm-hmm. get combative. Like you start looking at every horse out of the corner of your eye like, what are you planning, buddy? <laughs> and I actually, <laughs> yeah, I actually had to have 
uh, uh, one of my bosses tell me to calm the heck down because I was so <laughs> used to like, get out of my space. You're going to run me over and bite me and whatever. Yeah. And when yeah. I first got my hands on like uh, something like an Atwood Colt, like something that's um, it's either had very little done with it or it's had very responsible work done with it. And then it's bred to do everything. The yeah. first time I started yeah. those, I was like, oh, horse training can be simple and fun. And it's wow, fun. Yeah. you were already do all of this. And it was it, like the first time I put a colt like that in a round pen, he loped to the left perfectly on his left lead. And then oh he stopped goodness. and did a perfect rollback and picked up his right lead. Yeah. And then he slid into the ground and looked at me. He's like, I'm ready for the saddle. I'm like, oh, oh man, yeah. this is awesome. Um, so I think it's it's. A blessing to be able to train both kinds of horses because mm-hmm. having the savvy it takes to train the um, to train the trouble tr- the troubled horses will help you be better with the performance horses and training the performance horses will teach you you don't have to come at them with all guns a blazing all the time yeah. <laughs> or tiptoeing hey. around them. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I've got a little story to tell on myself. Okay, so. Oh, yeah. um, 20 years ago, I got this 16-month-old colt, my first horse to own myself. You know, when I was younger, they used to put me on anything. They'd be, oh, Gerald will ride it. She doesn't care. And, you know, it's, it's moving me into trucks, moving me into fences, the horses. And I'm just picking my leg up going, you're okay, sweetheart. You know, it's all right. Just don't, you know, do this. So that got me out of a lot of trouble. So anyway, I played with him on the ground. And you know the Lippers Honor School where they do everything on the ground, and then they just kind of plop the human in place. Okay, this is the telling part of it. <laughs> when I finally rode my colt after a year and a half, because his, his knees weren't closing up, and so I had them x-rayed, and so he got it started almost as a three-year-old. But my first ride was walk, trot, canter, backwards, sideways. I mean, everything you could ask for, horse double riding, everything you could ask for him was already there because I had had the time to do the ground skills first and it gave me such a skewed perspective being the first one and then when I got to the others right and others and the difficult horse I was like oh man this isn't like it at all so I actually had a little bit of a different experience um I came from kind of a naive (laughs) place in my um because you don't have that as trainers we don't have that time to spend that you know so how do we, you know, get the, meet the client's um, expectation, whether it be someone that could t- take the horse after we had it for the first three rides because their skill set is of that level and always training it to whoever is going to be taking that horse over in their hands, you know, making sure that we do that as trainers so that we're not uh, preparing the horse for what we would like in them, like super sensitivity. All I do is lift up my you know, my little hip seat and we canter off together versus, you know, the safety issue of that, um, you know, the less experienced rider taking them over afterward, after they leave our care, you know. So anyway, that's a telling story of me. (laughs) And and my (laughs) funny, but, oh, yeah. It's always, yeah, I think, um, well, and, and that's, uh, one thing that I was taught to do early on. Um, my very first training horse was this petite, really sensitive, squirrely little filly. Um, she had supposedly had, yeah, and she was actually great. She took good care of me. She'd supposedly had 30 days when I got her, but it, it was, 
it was pretty much a restart. Um, you know, I don't think her yeah. previous training was bad at all, but she was just one of those really peppery, flighty horses where if you gave her one day off, she's <laughs> like, I remember nothing. And her owner yeah. was this really big, burly, older guy who'd had like five back surgeries. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. At the time, I weighed next to nothing. I was a stick and I was super athletic. I hadn't been lawn darted all over the place by many horses at that point. So I could still like nimbly hop up on them like a ballerina. And I realized, okay, I can get on this horse without pulling on the saddle and kicking her in the ribs and yanking on her too hard. Um, but this guy will not be doing that. Um, and if, if she has never had that, she's going to be very upset. So I did a lot of like, what you're not supposed to do to mount. And it, this is like we talked about earlier in the show, just getting them prepared for situations. I did a lot of hanging off of her side and accidentally oh, yeah. missing the stirrup when I went to get on her and like, oops, I kicked yeah. you in the ribs. And, you know, I split <laughs> off her butt and I stood on her back and I, you know, I yeah. plopped down on her. And obviously you don't want to do that 24 seven. You want to be considerate of, you know, the horse, but I wanted her to know, Hey, this might happen because your owner's come me to pick yeah. you up and I just want you to know that and please don't kill anyone if it happens um mm-hmm. you know and and uh so I, see yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally get that we've got one in right now that um I started a uh, it's a friend of mine she does endurance riding um her name is Vicky and she had her horse her other horse that I started um both very sensitive um nice nice Arabs with quarter horse bodies, you know, so big, massive bone structure, cute little quarter horse. I mean, um, Arab face, sorry, didn't mean to say quarter horse, but quarter horse body for sure. And so we, I get this little horse in and she's fine. But you know, when you think about the basic skeleton of the, um, of the start for the horse, except the human, except the saddle, except the human as a passenger, except the human as a leader guider, you know, just basic and then we adjust or, you know, I always adjust it out to fit whatever the horse in my hands needs at that moment in time. This one came in and had learned to not only buck, but extremely right brain buck. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather ride a left brain buck than a right brain buck because a left brain bucking horse, you can be bucking on them and look at a tree and go, are you really going to buck us into that tree? And the horse looks at the tree and goes, well, of course I'm not. And just flattens back out into the gate that you were already in. Whereas the right brain horse doesn't see the tree, doesn't see the fence, doesn't even know you're up there anymore. You're just a problem, you know, that they've got to get off their back and get away from. And uh, that can be so dangerous. So, you know, we were playing with flags um, yesterday and just having even the flagpole bouncing up there. So all that overstimulation, or I was on a up above her and using my legs, like you wouldn't believe, pick up your legs with my legs. My legs are underneath you now. My legs, you know, even for farrier, you know, preparing them for that farrier to, cause their elbows hit them in the side. I mean, they don't mean to, but you know, they're just sitting there rasping them. So I, I concur with you completely on the overstimulation, um, to a safer, um, and what she had done is she had just been too quiet. 
you know, Mary, like you were talking about, you know, yeah. you can just get too quiet up there. And um, that horse, then when any stimulation happens, uh, and I know, I know you know about this, but you know, her size back, you know, um, and her, her flank is just anywhere you touch her or tap her, you know, she's just jumping all over, you know, still even to this day. And she's got probably a hundred rides on her, you know, so it's just missing elements in there and they're all different. Right. You know? Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and being able to you adjust. Know- you know. Exactly. And yeah. some horses, you know, some horses are always going to be kind of plotty and lazy and a little dull. And some horses are always going to yeah. be kind of hot and spicy. And at a certain point, that's where you as a rider have to say, okay, do I have the time <laughs> and know how and yeah. the power to maintain this horse? Or, you know, I wanted this horse to do 25 mile endurance rides and he acts like he's going to die on mile six. Is this the right horse for me? (laughs) You know, am I at some point you have to let them do what they're meant to and what they want to do. Um, And training can help with so much of that and get them ready for it. But then there is there comes the point where this is this is who they are. Um, Yeah, but yeah, that that is to it for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the beauty of being able to restart and start tons of different horses. Is you just get all these personalities and you get to understand them. And then, <laughs> you know, hopefully the next one that comes at your door, you're like, I remember you. You were just like that sorrel filly. And I did this with her and that really helped her out. And that's where your yeah. tool bag just gets bigger and bigger. And you get all these things to help these horses out. And uh, speaking of expanding your knowledge and getting more tools for your tool bag, one of the reasons uh, I wanted to have you on is uh, we are doing a clinic uh, October, the weekend of the 27th. So I believe it's the 25th through the 27th in Kaufman. And it's you, me, and... Legends Horse Ranch. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, what's going to be going on at this clinic. Who are the trainers and what are all the details? Well, of course, it's Ellie uh, Possible and yourself and 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 me. And you know, the, it's a versatility clinic. And what we may have in there is trail obstacles, some liberty finesse, cowboy dressage, the garrocha pole, and cow working. And you know, it, it, what is so unique about it is that it's set up so that in the mornings we'll have like a classroom setting. And that's going to be all of us, including all the auditors and such. And we're going to do, you know, learn about the psychology or whatever our subject matter is, Mary, whatever you want to cover in that. And then after that, um, we're going to break up into small groups and we will have um, a small group, one in the morning, and then in the afternoon, we'll have two more. And so the auditors can move around as they wish and, um, and, of course, each one of us will uh, be teaching a different subject matter. Uh, we do have some rider spots available still. Uh, for not all three days, we're um, offering the great price of $900, and that includes a dinner on Saturday night. And then um, for a one-day spot, it's going to be 380 for a rider, and then for two days, it's 685 So if someone needs to you know, stay at work on Friday, they could always come and join us on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, we're more than welcome to do that. And then we've got audit tickets for $20 per day or for all three days, they can have it for 50. And, um, you know, the participants, you know, like in the uniqueness of this, 
we have so much knowledge to share with your, our group knowledge, the three of us together is just like a superpower out there. And I'm so blessed to be in that packed with you guys and be able to expand. So, you know, I even had people coming and bringing their horses just online because everything that we do with them can be done from the online. And, and by the time they're done, if, you know, it becomes appropriate for them to get on at that point or not get on at that point, they're still going to get so much knowledge base from it and their horse is going to be that much better for it in the end. So whether you're a rider or you're, you know, wanting to stay mostly on the ground or do a combination of both, it, it's acceptable in this clinic. We are, that's why it's called versatility. Not only is the subject matter versatile, but also the trainers are at such a level that we can teach and, um, and, and expand you guys wherever you're at in your situation. So that's, I hope that, you know, we've got, you know, everybody gets to join us, you know? Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Um, I've done a few clinics with the similar format before. I've participated in them myself and I've taught them. And what I love about this style is so so you're going, you're not with one clinician all day. You're going every few hours, you're going to switch and go to another kind of like another classroom sort of, and it's going to cover different yes. subjects. And I don't know about you guys that have done these clinics is um, you, your eyes start glazing over and you just get exhausted if you really focus hardcore on one subject. And so this keeps things fresh. You're learning something new. Your horse is learning something new. It's for all levels of horses, all levels of riders. We're going to accommodate everyone. It's a great facility Mm -hmm. out in Kaufman, Texas. And again, the dates on those uh, is October 25th through the 27th. And I've got a flyer posted on my uh, Facebook, I'm going to be doing some more posts and a video about that uh, with details and contact information if anyone is interested. And um, unfortunately, we got to wrap it up. I can't believe uh, how quickly that went by. I uh, really enjoyed I know, having you is, on. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for having me. And you Not guys a have a wonderful and blessed day. And I'll talk. I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> we'll be together. All right. <laughs> See you soon. Okay, dear. Bye. 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 Oh, my gosh. I want to go to the clinic, but Texas is a long drive. It's not that long. (laughs) It's not too bad. See, that's the thing. Those of us who live east of the Mississippi, our concept of long drive is different than those of you west of the Mississippi. (laughs) Well, and it's even worse in, like, Europe and the U.K. Uh, When my mom and I were over there a while back... (laughs) We wanted to go to, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Sirencester. Um, so I, think they call, I think they call it Sirencester. Yes. Sirencester. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we were at the, the lobby of the hotel and we're like, oh, yeah, we could go there. And the guy was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to make that trip? That is two hours away. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone two hours for lunch. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. So this clinic format that you guys are going to be doing is this a format that you've done frequently before because i love it the yeah it's an awesome awesome way to do things so the first exposure i ever had to this there is a an association 
in Texas, and they they're popping up everywhere. In fact, there should be one in the Florida region, um, but it's Stock Horse of Texas, and the show itself has four events. There's uh, cow work, raining, trail, and uh, a rail class, a ranch pleasure class. And the day before all of these shows, there's always a clinic, and um, they have usually three clinicians because one clinician does the pleasure and the yeah, trail usually, but sometimes they'll have four. And so like if you have a hundred people show up, they break them off into groups and they usually break them off like on skill level. Like if you're a beginner, you go with this group and, yeah. um, and everyone will like, they'll hand out like a little wristband colored wristband. So, you know, you're in the blue group, you're in the orange group. And then you start with a certain clinician and like you, if you start, you go over to the cow work guy and you work cows for a couple of hours and then they say switch and then you go over, you and your group go to the rating guy. So, so cool. um, it is awesome because um, no matter how eager you are to learn and I've seen this and I've experienced it myself, you get eight hours in like yeah. hardcore drilling on a singular subject and you're, you're done. You, Everybody's you know, done. you're cooked and your Everybody's horse is cooked. cooked. Yeah. So and, we're going to put that again, another post-it note. Maybe uh, the folks who started this organization with this format, maybe we could have them on and talk about the format. Cause it's the kind oh, of, yeah. thing, Oh, wait a minute. We need to fly Mary to Ocala so that she can get with another trainer and do one of these. Cause that's really cool. I love it. Heck yeah, it's it's really fun. And uh, when we've done this before, and this will be very similar to the clinic we're doing in Kaufman, um, like I, in both clinics, I've, I'm teaching Garocha. Um, and so like the last clinic I did like this, we had uh, two other clinicians and one taught trail obstacles and one taught like really fun. It was Wiley and Wilson. So really fun style horsemanship. She's taught people this thing called the basic handle, which is a really oh, cool yes. way to teach fun your, stuff yeah. that you could use on a, on a freestyle or for a horse that you really want to play around with and get some advanced skills. Yeah. Neat. Yes. So they'd go to me and do Garocha and then they'd go to the other clinician and do obstacles. And then they'd go to Wileen and work on these stops. And she had them doing lead changes and teaching them how to go up to the mounting block. So it was a blast and it keeps things fresh for the riders and the horses. And it's a great way to get you know, uh, so many different styles of training in your brain in one weekend. In one weekend. Well, pretty cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and uh, listen to a song from Bren Hill, Courage in the Saddle. I thought that was appropriate for today. And we come, when we come back, we're going to have our listener live question from TJ. Listen to my tale It ain't much of a story So you better listen well In southeast Oklahoma When I was but a boy I ran many a mattress And I never wanted more Believe that I could ride Anything with hair Then 
one California morning I found myself there At Los Alamitos race course in 1962 Where the story starts and ends Is where you find the dream comes true Courage in the saddle Facing to the wind You ride each time like you won't live again If you're gonna ride to win, son It's gonna be a battle Better have a heart of steel Courage in the saddle Dial was 10 to 1 and 64 on May the 9th. We were 25 large richer when she crossed the finish line. Night of races at Bay Meadows, 68 to 73. There never was a jockey who had won as much as me. We were back at Alameda's in May of 84. Thick fog down the straightaway mud on the racetrack floor John Critter on face in the crowd turned left in front of me And the bottom side of running hooves was all that I could see Courage in the saddle, facing to the wind you Ride each time like you won't live again If you're gonna ride to win, son, it's gonna be a battle Better have a heart of steel, courage in the saddle. No surgery could replace So as a 20-year outrider I'll finally retire From the course at Alameda's The place I first caught fire And the years have passed right through me I'll never be the same And the changing times in politics Lord, we ought to be ashamed For we're short of field and horses Midwest jockeys, they're all through where the story starts and ends is where you find the dream comes true. Courage in the saddle, facing to the wind. Ride each time like you won't live again. If you're gonna ride to win, son, it's gonna be a battle. Better have a heart of steel. TJ here. We're back with Mary Kitzmiller's monthly training episode brought to you by Horseware. TJ is today's auditor, listener, Q&A gal. So welcome back, TJ. How you doing? Thanks. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Let's hear what your question is. We have a little quarter horse Haflinger cross at our barn who was donated to us as a therapy horse. However, when 
little people walk by her stall, she'll literally lunge at them and try to bite them. And so I wondered if there was some way to cure her of that terrible habit. Yeah, that's that's not good therapy horse etiquette, I'm told. Um, and, and I'm going to say that's probably the halflinger half coming out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've heard. <laughs> so there could be a million and one reasons why the horse is biting. And it's important to figure out what the why is so we can maybe craft a solution. So, you know, it could be anything from pain to living environment to diet to old habits to fear to training. Um, so what I'd like to figure out is... Um, when does the horse do this? Is it only in specific situations? Let's start with that. I excuse me. I've only observed her doing it when she's in her stall. Okay. I haven't actually seen her around kids when she's on a lunch line or out in her paddock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when I'm training her, some, she'll threaten to bite, uh-huh. but she never actually connects and and bites. Although I know she. She could if she wanted to. Right. And surely with a with a kid, she'd probably see that opportunity. And uh, uh, it, it's a definite possibility when she's in training. Um, okay. So she does it mostly in the stall, but she there's definitely the possibility to do it when she's out and about and someone's handling her because she has threatened to do it. Um right. What is her living environment like? How often is she in a stall? How often is she turned out? What's she getting fed? Okay. She's um, in a stall um, during the day, and then she's in a paddock at night. Okay. And um, I'm not, I couldn't tell you for sure what she's fed. Most of our horses are fed some combination of a balancer, and it's not sweet feed. Um, but it's just regular grain, mm-hmm. I think, and hay. Okay. What else did you want to know? Um, so when you're training her, when you've got her on the lunge line, is there a certain, is does anything happen that causes her to buy, or is it just totally at random? It's, it seems like she doesn't aggressively come towards me to try to bite me or try to attack me. Mm-hmm. But if I'm if I'm leading her and I turn my back on her, I'm, people tell me, oh, she looks like she's going to bite you. Okay. So it's when I turn my back on her. Um, when I'm wanting her, her ears are back, but she's not trying to come at me. So right. I think it's, it's usually when we're standing around. Okay. Okay. Okay, yeah, all those things are helpful because um, sometimes the nasty behavior can come from something health-related and a horse that's stalled for any period of time. Um, as you probably know, there's always the possibility for things like ulcers. Um, and I've had a few in training that were pretty nasty. Um, and it, a lot of that behavior actually diminished when I addressed diet and when I um, when I treated for or ulcers. Now that's not a fail-safe, but um, horses can often, uh, you know, that have any kind of discomfort can start with a very, you know, they'll start kind of looking minorly irritated all the time, and can it can evolve into this bigger and bigger and nastier behavior, and then all of a sudden they're threatening to bite, and we're like, what's going on? 
So it's definitely something I would be aware of. You know, you okay. might, it, it wouldn't hurt to have a vet checker out um, and uh, possibly palpate her. There's, there's ways you can um, investigate for ulcers without going uh without going all the way and doing like a scope or things like that. Um, and if that is the case, there are, the treatment is, is rather easy. Uh, ulcer guard, uh, there is something that I really, really like. It doesn't necessarily treat ulcers. And yet every horse that I've had that have had digestive upset issues, this supplement has helped and it's uh, uh Redmond daily gold stress relief. Um, so that's made a big difference. You want to make sure she's getting as much forage as possible. It doesn't have to be alfalfa, you know, just a decent quality grass hay. Um, the grain, uh, you know, that that's up to you and your barn. Most of the time I find if a horse is on a pretty good forage and they've got access to uh, any kind of mineral or salt, um, they don't even really need the grain because sometimes they just feel so cooped up in their stall that that's where we see issues like extreme resource guarding, which can involve lunging out of their stall and trying to bite people or weaving or stomping or pawing or kicking their stall or just acting nasty in general. So um, diet would be something I would evaluate. Make sure she's not uh on too much because if we overfeed and then they don't have um, a lot of intense exercise or uh, huge spaces for turnout, sometimes we'll see these random problems start to develop, vices in the stall, things like that. Um, so when she does it in the stall, is it just anytime someone walks by, is she worse at feeding time or is it just, it's, it's just it's whenever? Anytime. Yeah. Any kind. And you know what? Now that you're talking about ulcers, she is a little bit girthy. Mm -hmm. On the other mm -hmm. hand, she's a, such a pleasure to ride. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. I'm not saying her ears are up constantly, but she's absolutely no problem to ride. There's no bucking or rearing or anything. Okay. And, you know, these horses that do deal with digestive issues um, can often muscle through their routine and not okay. do anything like explosive with you. And I'm not saying it is ulcers, but it is something. Yeah, it, I, I, it seems like I've seen it in horses where they have this personality, like they're just mad at the world. And right. in that case, I, I I'm... I've always have a strong feeling that it's something there's pain somewhere, whether, you know, like I had a horse that was very penny eared, um, asked when I asked him to lope and he was very swishy tailed, even though his, his actual attitude was quite pleasant. He was also wonderful to ride. And okay. it turns out long story short, after lots of detective work, he was suffering from navicular from heel pain the whole time, even though oh. he wasn't lame, but right. There were all these little signs that just said discomfort, discomfort, discomfort. And and sometimes it can be in the most unexpected places. Like I was, um, I, it was the very first clicker training clinic I ever participated in. Um, there was this little mare that was very well educated. This lady ha was very experienced with clicker training. She taught this mare to do all these wonderful things. But the reason she was at the clinic, her main issue was this horse would try to bite her when she was grooming it. And mm. 
it got it it started as a pretty minor problem and then it just got to where anytime you try to saddle the horse or if you brushed her much past her neck she was just angry penny eared turning her head at the at the owner and my first thought when i saw this horse was oh ulcers you know that would be where i would look um, but as it turns out, so the trainer, that the clinician went and started work with the horse and used approach and retreat. And anytime the horse was pleasant to be touched, she'd click and treat and she'd work her hands further and further down this mare, um, and, and would reward the horse for being good for letting her touch her. And as she worked with this horse, this horse had a very big personal space bubble to start with like she was just like don't touch me here don't touch me here don't touch me here well as she gently worked with the horse that bubble started getting smaller and smaller and the horse finally was letting down said okay you can touch me on the shoulder okay you can touch me on the back okay you can touch me on the belly and the trainer worked her way to the mare's udders and she put her hand up there and started uh, feeling around the mare's udders and asked the owner, have you cleaned her back here? Have you ever washed this area? And the owner said, well, no, because it's not something we really think about. We think about it more with geldings. Um, right. And she said, well, she's got a lot of dirt and irritation and fly bites and all and." Um, so she really irritated back in this area. And as soon as she started cleaning this mare's udders, the mare was like, oh, my God, thank you. Mm-hmm. And it was such a random thing that I never would have thought about. But this was an area of the horse. It's a very small area. And it started, she she just had irritation um, there and discomfort there. And it started as a very small area where she felt that irritation. But as the problem just was not getting addressed that her little protective zone of don't touch me. I don't feel good. It got bigger and bigger and bigger until pretty soon you couldn't cinch her up without her threatening to bite or brush her past her neck. So it's not always the case that something's gone haywire uh, as far as pain or physical issue, but it is something like it is something I would be on alert for. Okay. For sure. Um, Would she, now, when I if I let her loose in the arena, she still runs around and bucks and acts very like all my other horses do when they're first kind of set free in the arena. Would mm-hmm. she be doing that if she was feeling sick? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And and it's not even it could be a very tiny thing. Like with this mare, I was just speaking of, she just had like some dirt in her. You know, she was just dirty on a body part exactly. that needed to be washed. So it was like a minor issue, but okay. sometimes the discomfort just grows over time. So, and, and like the horse with navicular, he wasn't unsound and he's, yeah, he's right. still like, he's, he still gallops in the pasture when I turn him loose. So it's not like they'd be limping around or acting like they're about to die or colic or anything like that. It, that's where I, this, this kind of stuff can get very tricky and almost frustrating because they look fine they're acting fine for the most part they just have this one weird problem so it's a possibility um the so the other things you can do to address the actual behavior um i know you mentioned in a message you'd done some positive reinforcement training some clicker training with a horse yes is that correct and uh and has that been successful at all or yeah, she um I used it to teach her to back away from the stall, back away from the door mm-hmm. of her stall. Mhm. Um when I asked her to with a signal. 
Mm-hmm. I taught her Good. the Pirelli backup command. Okay. And so she responds to that when I ask her to back away. And she seems so like, you know, I wants to learn. Good, good. Um, so I like positive reinforcement for these kinds of issues. Um, it it seems to rewire them a little bit better. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like if this horse tries to take a chunk out of you, you're not allowed to do whatever you have to do to stay safe and let her know that's wrong. You know, I will get big and crazy and scary if a horse does that to me. I'm not going to play around with it. But uh, for general retraining of the behavior, there's a lot of exercises you can do with clicker training that I think helps do a little bit of a reset. And um, some ones I can think of off the top of my head would be, so I would continue working with the backup. That's a really good one. Um, uh, Mark training is really good. Uh, So Mark training. Oh, okay. So yeah. I've taught horses. I've took like a little, uh, I have a little square piece of stall mat um, mm-hmm. that I've used and I've taught horses. Uh, if you want a reward, if you want to interact with me, go stand on your mat and then you're going to get, you're going to get your click and treat. And um, I had a trainer tell me once she did that with an aggressive zebra, like you couldn't really go into the pen with this zebra and it would come up and threaten to bite. And so she taught it, you know, you will not get your breakfast or dinner unless you're standing in your space. And if I come into the pen, uh, I won't interact with you and you won't get anything from me until you go stand on your spot. And it gave the animal something else to do. And it had them focused more on, oh, I'm going to get a reward if I do this rather than I'm going to bite you for my own satisfaction. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to jump in. Um, I'm going to jump in right here because something yes. else that occurred to me. And this is a this is a behavior that I've seen people inadvertently train horses to do. You get the horse is getting groomed and the horse bites at you or is, mm-hmm. is fidgety like that. They figure, well, if I just yep. keep pushing through it, if I just keep grooming, they're going to stop biting at me when in fact all they're doing is reinforcing that I'm telling you I don't want to be groomed because it's uncomfortable and you ignore me. By teaching the horse that mark skill, particularly if it's in a stall, for example, stand in the corner where the yellow bucket hangs is my mark. She also then has the option when people walk past her stall, if she doesn't want to be reacted with, if she doesn't want to interact with humans, she can go stand in the corner and she knows that you're not going to come and get her because part of her problem might be that she has been... I'm going to use my air quotes, forced to interact with humans when she doesn't want to or when she finds it physically uncomfortable. And again, her reality is the own reality. If she finds it uncomfortable, it doesn't matter what we think of it. And if Mm -hmm. you put all of her food and water in the back of the stall and then you teach her where her mark is, she can just go hang out in the back and have a better option. Right. Yeah, just going to jump in there. Okay, I I hijacked your conversation for just a second. I'll step away. No, no, it's... Yeah, yeah. This is one of those where it's not a perfect like. Oh, you should do this. There's a so lot. So any, lot yeah, any There's input is awesome. Um, yeah. So the mark training is really good. Um, I've seen people do things with target training. Um, there's so I would definitely, if you're interested in going the clicker route, I would definitely check out Shauna Karish's 
uh, program. She's got a great program. And then there's another trainer I really like. Uh, her name is Alex Curlin. And yep. she actually has videos on working with a horse exactly like this. This horse was, oh. yeah. Uh, I have to see if I can find the name of it. I'll post it to the auditor group. Um, but this horse, like you couldn't go in the stall with it. And so they train this horse over time to, um, you know, touch a target. And like this horse would bite when it was being groomed. So one of the things they trained the horse to do, they had a target for the horse. You put your nose on this target. And when your nose stays on this target, you're going to get lots of reward. And so the horse just learned the habit of when I'm being groomed, I just put my nose on this target right here and things are going to go great. And that doesn't mean like then you can just go crazy and touch them wherever, but but it, it just they just built these new habits over time to make the horse uh, manageable. Um, so there's lots of things like that, the target training, the mark training, teaching them to back, uh, teaching them boundaries like that. And doing it from a reward standpoint, I found really helps rewire some of these really difficult behavioral problems. Now, all that said, so there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can investigate with pain, health, diet, living situation. Um, you know, she may need more exercise. She may need to be lunged a little bit longer, turned out a little bit longer, Um but all that said, there's a lot you can do, and I think you can make a huge improvement. At the end of the day, you may have to make the decision, she's not a therapy horse. I mean, they're, right. they're not all going to be. You know, she she might be a horse where she's now great to be with adults and she doesn't have this problem, but you still have to be ultra cautious with kids. And, and I can't tell you if that's going to be the case here or not, but hopefully, hopefully that gives you some ideas to go on. Yeah. But the things with the biting, you know, there's things that you can do in the moment if the horse tries to get you. Um, you know, I will, like I said, get big and scary. I will move their feet. I'll get them off of me. But as far as finding out, like, how do we quit the problem, prevent the problem, keep it from happening again? That's where you have to put on your detective hat and think, okay, where is this coming from? Is it habit? Is it diet? Is it? you know, living situation, is it, a little of each. uh, yeah, could be a little bit of everything. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Well, thank you very much, TJ, for volunteering, putting your life on, and your ego on the line and calling in today. <laughs> we, thank you very much. And I'm going to try your ideas and I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Give us All an update. Right. We'd love to hear it. Okay. All right. Good luck. Thank you, Mary. Bye TJ. Well, once again, we've geeked out on, Horse training for around fortnight. I know we so. only got to one question. I know. Well, there's just I, so much. I need to do a live where I answer the rest of these because I got some amazing, amazing questions. Yeah. And uh, by the way, the, the lives the happen uh, either on Mary Kitzmiller's Facebook page. So it's Mary Kitzmiller Training, right? Uh, Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. Mary is my Kitzmiller Horsemanship page. on Facebook. So go like that one. And also, they happen sometimes on our auditor page, which is how we get our listener questions. They come from our auditors, and our auditors are folks who see value in the programs, not just horses in the morning, but all the programs on the Horse Radio Network. And they hop on over to our Patreon page, and they chuck in as little as three dollars a month, and they get to be part of the super secret and extra super fun 
Auditor's Facebook page. So if you go to Horses in the Morning, just look for the Auditor's banner. It's usually on the right-hand side of the page, and click on that, and you'll find out more. And if nothing else, it is worth the contribution you make to have one of the only, like, I guess safe spaces on Facebook. We it is just yeah, we warm and really fuzzy for to keep it safe so that it's yeah. wonderful and it's it's people from all walks of life, really quirky people and it's not just horse interest. We've got movie geeks and um you know it's 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 an awesome group. If for nothing else, it's not just like hardcore no, horse fun. training. Yeah. It's crazy and fun and it's an awesome group of people and i've met a lot of them in person and it's a really cool place to be really cool place to be i agree with you and um for notes about today's show and other information you go to horsesinthemorning.com there's even an advertising link on there so if you own a company you have a friend who owns a company you own a stable you have a new product you are in the tech business and something cool technical came out for horses and you want to advertise on any of the shows on the horse radio network you can find out more there you can follow us on Facebook. Our name on Facebook is Horses in the Morning. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Horse Radio Network. And if you haven't done so already, download the app. The app gets you Horses in the Morning as well as all of the other shows. If you so choose, go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network. It's available for iPhone or Android. Help your friends who are a little less tech savvy download it as well. And if you want to join Mary in her upcoming clinic, go to where? Uh, check it out. I got the flyer on Facebook and I have three clinics coming up. Three. Um, all different ideas and themes. I've got one the end of October. I've got two. Uh, the first half of November, one is in Gainesville. One is at my own ranch. Um, we might be full up on that one with horse spots, but I'm I always welcome auditors and that one will be really casual and fun. And it's just exchanging ideas and seeing different things. The one in Gainesville, uh, it's Gainesville, the day before. Yes. Gainesville, yes. Texas, not Florida. Um, it's the day before they, they, it's breaking hearts, uh, riding club. I think I'll post information on that on my Facebook today. Um, and they put on a really fun show and the clinics the day before. So we've got tons of fun stuff coming up. Mary Kitzmiller horsemanship. You will find all of the information as well as contact stuff there. So if you don't find what you need there, you can just contact Mary and she'll get back to you when she's between training horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks again to the folks at Horseware and Ice Vibe for bringing us this show today. And we'll see you again next week. Tomorrow is Friday. That means it's really bad ads day with Glenn and Jamie. So we'll see you then. <laughs>